beginning of, of, of Paradox, dreaming into, praying into, into what we wanted to do, uh, what I felt God had, had led me into from a teaching perspective and really laid on my heart is that um, instead of just doing church and taking what has been done in the past as seemingly successful as that might be or might not be and then just doing stuff, I really wanted to say, you know what, let's start from the scratch and go back to the beginning of, of what is God calling the church to be. Um, a lot of our language talks about church as a, as a meeting or a time or a building. Um, and so in, in searching through the scriptures, really discovering that um, that's not what the Bible was talking about. In the New Testament, when it speaks of the word church, um, the word that's translated as church is ecclesia. And it means a gathering of people. And it could mean a gathering um, in, a, in a place. It could mean a gathering geographically. It could just be a gathering of, of like kind of people. Um, but understanding that the word means a gathering, a collective of people uh, brought together. And so when we speak of the church, it's so important that we understand that the church is, in its very nature, a gathering of people, a coming together of people. It's not a building. It's not a time in the week. You know. And again, I, I'm, I used to be a bit of a Nazi when it came to the word church. And in the early days, for those of you who are around then, if I heard you calling, like, this time church... Um, or, or talk about, you know, the, a church building, I would, I would be, hey, what was that? What was that? And uh, we had like a swear jar. Anytime you use church wrongly, you had to put money in. Um, not really. I did threaten that though, so. But for me, I know, you know, language is descriptive and it's also creative. So if you use language long enough, people start to get this mentality in their heads. And I think that's why what has been propagated in the church, our language has helped to shape people's understanding of what the church is. And they've come out with a wrong understanding, a very limited view of what it is. Now, the church does gather together. It did gather together daily um, in the New Testament. And that's what we want to kind of really base our understanding of what the church is and where it comes from. Um, but they got together daily. They were in each other's homes. They had no church buildings. It wasn't literally for a few hundred years before there was a, the first official church building, because up until that point, so around 330 AD with Constantine, that's the first time that you start seeing buildings built specifically for Christian worship, because before that time, it was illegal. So they were just gathering homes to homes. They talk about the, the oikos, a Greek word for oikos, which is like community or family. And that was, or your household is the other name for it. Um, and that was much broader than just your, again, your actual blood family living in your home. So they would have, might have multiple generations living. They lived in villages and towns. They were all interconnected to one another. Sometimes they have multiple generations living in the same house. But their household, they had a different understanding of that. So again, we've got all of this language, unless we go back into the New Testament times and understand the culture there, we don't get the right, true understanding of what they were speaking about. So then essentially, the church is a community, it's a family, and the, the New Testament and the Old Testament as well is just filled with familial language. So who is God? He is our, our Father. Yep. Who is Jesus? He is the of God, the Son of God. Who are we? We are God's children we are sons and daughters we are brothers and sisters in christ so again we probably hear this language all the time we go oh that's normal when you think about it go, okay wow that's actually really interesting that that kind of language is used to describe the body of christ and there's lots of other words to describe it but there's a lot of that in there so then wanting to shape what we do and how we function as the church, really to say, instead of just taking a structure and then and multiplying a structure, saying, well, what do we value? What is the end game? What do we want to achieve as, as the church? What is, what is 
inherent in the ecclesia, in the DNA of the church that is supposed to produce the outcomes that God wants for us. Because again, we can get caught up chasing outcomes that aren't necessarily the outcomes that God called us to chase. Okay? Did Jesus ever tell us to go out and make salvations? Go and win people to him? No. So he called us to go and make disciples. Now we know as part of that discipleship process, salvation comes into it. People are born again by the Spirit. They're growing, they're maturing, they are sanctified, they're where they're being sanctified, they were justified, all of that sort of stuff. So it's part of the process, but to understand what we are pursuing is essentially making little Jesuses. That's the role of, of you and me as disciples of God is to become like Jesus. We, we sang it this morning, is to become like Him. And, and my heart, I'm so excited about the fact that we're actually becoming, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. That's awesome. But it is not just, uh, in, okay, what I think about or, you know, the things that, my, you know, knowing my Bible, those sorts of things. But um, literally, we are becoming the embodiment of Christ. There is a, a, a constant exchange going on as He's taking out your unrighteousness and he's, and he's releasing more of His righteousness in you. That's the process. That's why we are big on, you know, not um, encouraging or allowing people to walk in sin. Because it's not who they are. It's not who God has called them to be. To walk in unrighteousness is to not walk in Christ-likeness. And so that's a problem because that's not the destiny on your life. The destiny on your life is to be like Jesus. So we want to build structures and, and systems and processes that really help to foster that kind of environment. And so, th so things like Life Hubs, having uh, community connection points is incredibly valuable in achieving things like developing Christ-likeness. Yeah, in, in people connecting in with the body, connecting with family, understanding that kind of family dynamic. And so it really is, Life Hubs are not a weekly meeting. Although you might get together weekly, it's not a weekly meeting. It's not a Bible study. It's none of those things. It's a community of people that are endeavoring to share their lives with one another in whatever kind of context and way that looks like. But it's the people saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm committing myself to you to invest into your life, to, to pour into your life, to receive from you, to give to you, to, to do community and life together with you. And again, don't hear something that I'm not saying. I'm not saying, I'm not putting a description on, and this is exactly what you must do and what it must look like. There's freedom in how that happens. But unless, um, I guess, as a, as a leadership of a church, unless we are intentionally structuring those things in, it just doesn't happen. In the six years of, of, of doing it, people are busy. We live in a different culture than what they did in, in the New Testament, in the early church. It's just different structures. We don't live in separate little isolated villages with everyone living in the same households and living, you know, right next door and constantly, you know, rubbing shoulders with people. We often live in, you know, in separate suburbs and different homes and we can be disconnected. We work in different places. You know, you could live in Quinana and work in the city and, and do, you know, it's all... all kind of disconnected in that way. So as a culture, we need to recognize in 2016, okay, we actually need to be intentional about pursuing this kind of life-on-life uh, -life community because it's not going to happen organically. Okay? Hopefully, it becomes something of our, our values start to shift and we start to see the value of it and it becomes more and more natural to do so. And I feel like it, it has naturally. You know, I, like I love, I love having Luke and Rachel have their gym a few doors down from here because it just means that part of our lives are then intersecting and interconnecting and those who go along to the gym, it just means that, wow, the rhythms of my life 
are now intersecting more and more and engaging and, and connecting. You know, I love that Kat and Verla work at the coffee club because then I'll go down and, 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 I, and I do this. This is not to talk me out, but I love connecting with them and saying hello. So if I'm going to Woolworths, I'll, I could park near Woolworths, but if I know that coffee club's open and Cat and Verla, I'll park over near that entrance, the reject shop entrance, and walk all the way through just so I get an opportunity to connect because it's, it then means that, well, I might not see Cat you know, ever, because, you know, no, no, just joking. Um, yeah, well, sometimes she works on Sundays. And so then it's like, even though they live on the same street as me, um, you know, it, you do, you just, you, in those rhythms of life. So having ways that we intersect kind of naturally. It can seem, you know, contrived because we're actively putting ourselves at, at, at a, you know, at a time and place to meet together. But it's, it's, it's about the value of your heart. That you say, I want to connect with people. I want to be connected. I want to be known uh, in this in this place. So for us then, we, we initially start off with gospel, what we call gospel communities. Um, I just think this is probably a simplified, you know, kind of language to, to put on that. Um, and, but it is a, about a place where it's a hub where life connects. It's a people that are, that are centered around Jesus, obviously, but a, a pursuit and a desire of deeper community and family together. And we really want it to be a primary connection point. So often in, in churches, um, they would say, you know, this would be the primary connection point. And then hopefully they try and get people from here into small groups or connect groups or life groups or whatever we name people put on at home groups. Um, but for us, I'm like, no, I want it to be the other way around where we say, no, no, I belong to a life hub and I go along on a Sunday to a particular place. And there's really important things that happen when we gather together. There's, there's equipping and empowering and, and, you know, corporate anointing and all of those good, glorious things we get to worship together. But as I go from there, what am I doing with my life? How am I interacting and, and connecting? So again, when I first... It was, was doing the kind of lead up to planting the church. I, I did the numbers of, uh, of how much time in a week, and I know some of you have heard this a multi- multitude of times, um, how many, what percentage of time does a, a, a regular Sunday gathering, so probably most churches are probably an hour and a half that they get together, okay? Every one of you has 168 hours in your week. If you take out eight hours sleep a night, more f- than that for some, less than that for others, but you're left with 112 hours in a week that you're awake, okay? Of that 112 hours, if you take that hour and a half that you meet together in Christian community, that equals 1.3% of your awake hours. Of the 112, that's 1.3%. So it really means if we center everything around this here, that's 1.3% of your week that you're awake. And 98.7% of your week then is spent outside of that doing other things. And they're not bad things. I mean, you've got to go to work and do those sorts of things. But if we're not deliberately trying to structure our lives in a way that focus on the 98.7%, we're missing out on a whole lot of time that we could be connecting with people, that we could be growing, that we could be having an impact for God, that we could be getting impacted by God. That's a lot of time. Okay. And so as well, we want to put emphasis and focus and intentionality on what we're doing outside of that. And that really is what these life hubs, that's the vision of what they're about. And what it's always been about is how can you connect with community outside of what's going on here? And again, it's not that it's about being exclusive. Look, we're like, um, no, no, sorry, you're not in my life hub. I can't talk to you. You know, it's, it's not that either. So we'll just, just do this. Get that religiousness off here. So you're free now, you're free. That's, uh, that's deliverance, Brad Jostar. Um, 
But we're saying, so it's about what we're for, not what we're against. It's about what we're saying, not, not what we're not saying, okay? So just hear that in all of this kind of process. So it's not that you can only associate with certain people, but we, we want you to be intentional about trying to connect with certain people, okay? In a group. So a primary connection point. You'll see out on the, on the foyer, there's a little sign that's got uh, the one and others. And it talks about, you know, loving one another, serving one another, all of that sort of stuff. So... In the New Testament, I think there's about 48 different one another's. So commands, love one another, serve one another, you know, live your lives with one another, share with one another, do that sort of stuff, okay? Um, and they're all throughout, so commands of Jesus, commands in, in Paul's writings, okay? And so again, to fulfill a one another, that means you need more than one person, yeah? One and another, yes, at least one other person, okay, in that process. So it's God saying, I want you to love one another and serve one another and invest into and sacrifice for one another okay it means then you need to have other people around you that you're in order to fulfill the commands of God on your life you must be in community that's what I'm saying <laughs> I can't I don't know if I can afford another mic so I will just pretend that I dropped it um but it is, it's, so it's all of these things. So again, we, we, when we think about it, okay, that makes a lot of, that's kind of logical, that if I want to fulfill the call of God in my life, I have to be connected with other people. And again, it's not all about this church. My hope is that you're connected right across the body of Christ and with non-believers and people at your workplace, all of that sort of stuff. It's not exclusivity, but it is about intentionality. And, and Jesus says that people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another okay so the world is going to look at the church and it's going to see the people in the church and the disciples of jesus in the church and they're going to say i know yeah what do i know by looking at those people yeah i'm going to see god i'm going to oh you're a disciple of jesus because i see the way that you love one another can you love one another in isolation no so you have to be in community, visible Christian community. And that's why, again, even in a life hub context, it's not all about then, oh, it's just the Christians get together. No, it's, it's open and, and inviting people in, but they're going to see and experience your life and they're going to see God. They're going to get a revelation of God himself by looking simply at the way that you love and serve one another. People will know you're my disciples, by the way. The, the greatest mark of discipleship, of being a disciple of Jesus, the way that you love other people, your brothers and sisters in Christ primarily. It is... The greatest, I believe one of the greatest kingdom apologetics is brothers and sisters in Christ loving one another. So an apologetic, like an explanation or a revelation of, of the reality of who God is, okay? One of the greatest ones is that, is that phrase from Jesus, love one another. But it means connecting in. You know, elements of it where you have you kind of get a shared vision and a mission. God might call a particular life hub to have a focus group or a people that they want to reach out and connect with, that they want to serve specifically. You might start to pick up, oh wow, in this group there's people that carry that same sort of heart and we want to be, you know, together maybe connecting, reaching out to the homeless or doing something this way, serving someone here. Again, in the, in the early church, the way that they brought their possessions together and they shared amongst one another, needs were known because people had an opportunity to share their needs and have their needs met. You know, I've talked before, Lisa and I, we, we tithe to this church, so we give a tenth of our income to Paradox, and then we live generously on top of that. Okay, So we start first, and then we want to live generously, and it's often in those contexts where you hear needs, and you go, hey, you know what, we could give into that need. 
and it might be financially, it could be, well, I have a skill and an ability to, to, to pour in in that way. Um, you know, like I, I, I like building things and constructing things, and so often I've been the way that I've served people is just by, you know, changing someone's brake pads or, you know, doing, uh, helping, hey? Yeah, fixing the door. I did, I went and I saw the door was broken on the gym, so I tightened up the screws. This is a bit loose, don't worry. Um, but you know what I mean? It's, it's not until you're in community with people that you start seeing those needs. I know, I know there's lots of people in this room and you say, I have needs. I have, I'm, it might be a prayer need, an emotional need, it might be a financial need, it might be just simply, I don't know what to do in this situation. I had an over an hour phone conversation with someone yesterday and uh, so, you know, a Christian person and, and they're, but we ended up talking about finances and, you know, what could you do with all this stuff that has these very non-spiritual things, but it's relevant for their life because it actually can inhibit then the things that God wants to do. But we don't know that until we're living, kind of rubbing shoulders with one another. So again, Life Hub's created an opportunity for spiritual family to be, to be grown and kind of raised up in that way connection point for people to be known i think this i know uh, i I've, i think i got the language from from amy and she would talk about that but there's this amazingly powerful thing of being known in community and i've had times where um i've shared my heart with people and it's really been sometimes you're in those situations in life and there's nothing that anybody can say you, there's no solution to the problem you could just be in pain <laughs> you know it's good to be i'm just or i'm just yeah you're just in pain and you want to share that with somebody, and you share it with them, and they just say, I'm really sorry, or they pray for you, or they, give, they don't give you any advice, because nothing can change this, the circumstance, it's just part of the journey of life. But you come away, I've come away from situ- situations like they're going, I just feel known, I feel seen by somebody, somebody, I'm not, I'm not just keeping this pain in, and I'm, I'm letting it out, and I know that they can't do anything about it, and sometimes we can, sometimes we can do something in that situation, but oftentimes this, I just feel like people see me. I'm not hidden. Um, you know, they talk about uh, with with abuse and trauma, and they've they've interviewed children, and they've found out that you know, for a child, they would rather be abused than ignored. And I think that same thing carries on in adulthood. You know, it's like I just we we want to be known. There's a desire within us to be sure as a teacher. You know to be loved, you know, and I know, again, Amy shared testimonies, even of being at school as a teacher, you know, and one of her values is just that students would, would be seen. How many kids would go through high school in, in pain and turmoil and, and disconnection and they've, you know, they're, they're friends, they, they don't, they might not have friends or they're fighting with people in school, they're getting picked on, their parents don't understand because their parents' advice is just, just ignore them and they'll go away, you know, which we know that works and, um, and so, you know, they feel alone and disconnected in this environment, and yet they're in this place all day, every day. And yet to have somebody that can see and say, hey, I see you. I see you in your pain, or I see you in your loneliness. I see you in that place, and I enter in. And there might be no alleviation, but there's being known in that place. So again, creating opportunity for that to happen. Uh, again, a, a, a big, important part, and as part of this being known, but pastoral care. Now, it's not all about being a little pastoral care hub where everyone gets together and, and loves and, and serves one another. It's not just that. We want it to be prophetic and apostolic and, you know, teaching and evangelistic, have those other elements in it. Really, whoever is in your group is going to shape and morph some of that. So again, we're not putting a, a guideline say this is exactly what a life hub must look like. Even some of the ones that are starting have a different flavor to them because of the people that are either leading them or the people in the group. 
Um, but a big part of that is there's an opportunity to just to be loved on and served and, and poured into in that way. Cool? All right. Here's some more stuff. I put here, we need a revelation of God's vision for our lives, for his people and for the impact of his kingdom on the nations. We need a revelation of God's vision for our lives, for his people corporately and for the impact of his kingdom on the nations. As carriers of God's glory, we are to be releasing the reality of his kingdom wherever we go and wherever we can. Wherever we go and wherever we stay, we're to be releasing that. And again, I think sometimes in life we can get so caught up with the ins and outs of just daily life things. And they can be good things and important things, but is it the ultimate of what God has for your life? And I think we need to keep coming back. God, what do you have? Do I see the significance of what God has for my life? The impact that He wants me to have? He's called His people to disciple nations. And sometimes we struggle to even to, to disciple ourselves, you know, to journey through those things. And so again, it's not to put shame or guilt or condemnation on you, but to say, we need to keep having that revelation. Oh, that's right, God. There's a bigger picture that's going on here. You have a heart for the nations. And me, you might use me, God, to have an impact. Absolutely. I've got here life hubs. I just, I have this vision of them being kingdom outposts. You know, like in a, in a military sense, so you're taking something that's happening here and then you're taking it out and you're planting it in a home or in a community or in a suburb, in a place, and that being a connection point and a releasing point for the kingdom of God to come. Because his desire is that his kingdom would come and his will would be, would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you are the portal. You are God's plan A and he has no plan B. I think when, well, maybe he does have a plan B and that's often just providential outpourings of his presence in a place but that is often preceded by people praying and and pouring in and 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 calling out on god you know revival in that sense but god revival is you following jesus that's true revival is a life yielded to god just following and going wherever he goes loving and serving and releasing his kingdom that's true revival. But to see a place and to say, wow, in that community, in that suburb, in that street, that that could be a place where the kingdom of God would start to be released. So again, please don't you know, get into a thing, oh, I'm just going to a place and we're just going to chat and have something to eat and you know, have a catch up. It's like, no, this is like, this is an outpost of the kingdom of God. What can we be doing as a community to be connecting out? How can we be encouraging one another, even in our workplaces and, and praying into those sorts of things to be strategically kingdom-minded in what we're doing in different places? I think, again, this is something where we need to shift out of this old mentality of, of just taking what the church does and trying to multiply that in the world and thinking that it's going to work. You know, well, we have a prayer meeting at church. Okay, well, we'll do that and when we go out and, uh, at my workplace and that's going to be radical. You know, God might have a totally different underground strategy, backward strategy, upside down, inside out way of doing things that's going to be revolutionary. You know, again, I, I look at transition with, their, with Luke and Rachel's business. It's the way that they've set culture. It's the way that they've communicated. It's the way that they've established things that the kingdom of God starts to trickle into people's lives. It's the way they do things differently. And they're not having a prayer meeting or a worship meeting or a, you know, doing any of those sorts of things. They're, they're just loving God and loving people and serving Him in that place and being strategically about the culture that they set, setting a kingdom culture. So people come in and they're like, wow, there's something different about this place. There's something different about these people. But there's strategies, I believe, that God wants to release into the body in order to reach the world. 
So paradox gatherings are for hosting God's presence corporately, being equipped, empowered, and released into who we are and what the Father has for us to do. But life hubs are where the outworking of these things take place. You can hear the most amazing sermon. If it doesn't get applied to your life, you are no better off. Jesus says, if you hear my words and you do them, you're a wise builder who builds his life on the rock, his house on the rock, yeah? But he says, if you hear my words and you don't go and do them, you're a foolish builder who builds his house on the sand. So we can have, we can have the greatest world-class preachers here every single week. You get all the great, amazing sermons, amazing content, amazing revelation. If you don't take that away and apply it to your life and have it outworked, you are no better off. In some ways, you're more foolish You can hear an amazing sermon filled with revelation and walk away more foolish than when you came in because you haven't taken that and applied it to your life. You haven't walked out in obedience. Am I preaching to anyone here? All right. (laughs) And I'm talking, I'm preaching to the converted for for, for all of you probably. But but do you know what I mean? So we've, we need a place, and that's where it is. I, I can't apply a sermon to every single one of your lives and every, the context, the life stage you're in, the, all of those things. But in a community, we can. We say, yeah, I heard that word. Man, I felt it really spoke to me. I just don't know how to apply that to my life. Or I feel like this thing is a barrier for me. Or I feel like I tried, and I've, I've, I've never been able to do that. But I want to be able to do that. And so how can, how can you as a, as, a, as a life have, as my community, help me to, to walk out those things and do that journey? So my hope is that you'll see miracles, healing, breakthrough, revelation and transformation as you commit to gather together and serve one another in community. That's what we want to see. Kingdom Outpost, amazing things happening in that place. Not just when we gather together here, but everywhere that we go that these things would happen. Sons and daughters who then become mothers and fathers are raised in families. So God's calling you to be a son and a daughter, not just an, a rebel. There's transitional realities. We go from being a rebel, okay, a rebel, you know, an enemy of God, and he brings us into his kingdom by his grace and mercy. And we become a, a servant and a disciple and the language of, of, a, of a slave to Christ. But then as we mature, then we become sons and daughters in the kingdom then as we mature then we step into that place of maturity of being a father and a mother where we now start to invest more and more into those who are, who are sons and daughters in the kingdom or those who are disciples who are, who are raising as sons and daughters and then i think the ultimate corporately is that we become the bride of christ and we fully step into that revelation but the reality is that in the natural sons and daughters who become mothers and fathers they're raised in a family you are going to become like your parents Unless you do some great Elijah House ministry and deal with all your judgments and bitter expectations, all that sort of stuff. But the reality is, that's where you learn how to be a parent most of the time. If you have, I mean, if you don't, if you didn't grow up with parents in your life, then you're going to learn it from other places. But if you grow up, that's where you're going to learn it. Your primary caregivers in that way are going to teach you, this is how I behave as a mother and a father. But it happens in family in the same way spiritually. We're going to learn that in a family dynamic. So one of the paradigm shifts that I believe is happening in the church is about returning to the paradigm of spiritual families. As I said before, that familiar language in the scriptures of fathers and sons and uh, even Timothy talks of, uh, Paul talks of Timothy as his spiritual son. But this is, is again, this is a, a revelation and a paradigm shift that we're stepping into. 
that we'd commit ourselves to one another in such a way that we would covenant together and say, I'm for you. And I trust that you're for me in everything that we're doing. We're not running with our own agendas, but we're, 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 our heart is to bless the other, to lay down our lives for the sake of one another as Jesus did for us. But as we understand this and we step in, we're going, okay, wow, we're, we're stepping into a, a paradigm shift in the kingdom of God. God's desire for us becoming like Jesus. Discipleship and, and sanctification happens best in spiritual families and close community. And why is that? Well, because you can't hide in a family. And plenty of people, to their own detriment, they think it's the best thing, but they hide in Christian community. They might even choose to go to a, a big church because they can hide, they can sit at the back, they can come in, get their fix and then go out again. And it might feel like it's the best thing for them, but it's the worst thing for them. We need to get comfortable with the confrontation and the pain that comes out of that place because that's where God is going to bring the greatest transformation. Yeah. Iron sharpening iron. Yeah, the irritation of community is what is going to grow you because it's going to expose the brokenness in your heart, your offendability, your woundedness, your sin. Sometimes we think, oh man, no, there's too much conflict. It's, you know, it's clearly not working. No, it's working perfectly. <laughs> it's what God designed it for. But unless you start taking responsibility for yourself and start saying, God, well, that person's really annoying me right now. What's in my heart? That always needs to be the first port of call when we feel something, when something negative comes up. God, what's in my heart? Search me, O oh Lord. Search my heart. See if there's any wickedness within me. See if there's any gigantic log poking out of my eye that's blocking me from seeing discipleship for Jesus was life on life not teaching upon teaching it was demonstration not philosophy so again discipleship it must be seeing that experience in life and it can be simple things I know a, a guy in in Sheffield in the UK wrote a book on discipling like overdoing the dishes you know there was it's just life things that you kind of do and, and conversations come up and just different everyday things it could be that you're saying i'm going to the shops and you take someone with you and it's just through that process of doing everyday daily things you get to connect you get to grow you get to speak you get to see how someone behaves in those environments or being around family and seeing how that happens and you learn Revelation 11:15 says then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. God's desire is to see the kingdoms of the earth become his kingdoms. Okay? Because there are other powers and principalities and and territorial spirits that are ruling what goes on in places. And who's going to change that? Us. It's our responsibility. Whose responsibility is it? Our responsibility. And until we start taking those things seriously, but also positioning ourselves to be, to be praying, to be serving, to be loving, we're going to see the same fruit come out in our world. 